Alright, all the mics are hot. I got no more beer left, so this one better work. Alright, rolling tea. Alright, good. Take 7,002. Motorcycle champions everywhere. Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, America's best motorcycle podcast. Hey, there's a bunch of asterisks behind that. <laughs> Never mind. We're brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. For more information, head over to patreon.com forward slash creative writing to learn how you can support the show yourself. Now, let's get cracking. Roll on the throttle, blip the brakes, tighten the air cleaner, check the crankshaft, and don't spill your coffee. Hey, everyone. This is Liza from the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast. And when I am getting a root canal or something else really just painful and shitty, I like to listen to the Creative Writing Podcast because the best way to fight pain is with pain. Thank you, Liza. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I hope all of you are doing well out there in the world. No matter what hemisphere you're in, I hope that the weather is perfect right now and you're just getting all the rides in. I hope there's no monsoons, no heat waves, none of that. Uh, things that plague the world. Uh, flash flooding, all that fun fun stuff that's actually been happening. Hope none of it's happening to you. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to have a guest, which is really exciting. We're going to have some news, which is also fun. And uh, we're celebrating 131 years of Clobman Pickles. So we'll hear all of that uh, coming up on this week's show. We have first, before we get into any of that great stuff, we have a disclaimer. And I got to tell you what episode this is. I think this is episode 255. I should learn to trust my own notes as I write them every week. Excuse me. But uh, yeah, this is episode 255. And uh, hey, the, the views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast are those of the participants. They do not reflect the policy position or opinions of the Creative Writing Moto One Podcast Network, any of our affiliates, and any opinion as a respective participants and is not intended to malign anyone or anything even... Ooh... 
Triumph Riders. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Triumph, what a wonderful brand. Um, Hey, everybody, listen. We have, uh, this week, we have uh, an an old segment of the show. If you've been listening a long time, you know that we used to have, well, we still do have a Facebook group called Word of the Week. If you would like to submit a word, go there. It's the easiest way to do it. I mean, we could do it all over every single form of social media, but it just gets hard to track on Facebook. It's like a static page. And so we have a group. If you if you head over to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, uh, check out our groups pages. You're going to find Word of the Week. Go submit a crazy word over there. And in the past, when we had a bunch of co-hosts together, if anyone said your word, they had to perform a punishment. And some of them were good, some of them were bad. We, you know, one of our one of our old co-hosts was just not into the idea at all. He's like, oh, I thought it was going to be like Pee Wee's Playhouse, where we all we all just kind of scream every time we say it. What fun is that? Hey, looks, they're screaming like a bunch of monkeys on uh, barbiturates. No. We need a punishment. So we had a punishment. Now that it's just me and Tobor, who, by the way, is over here doing fine, but um, we are doing some facial reconstruction on Tobor. He's been under construction. Um, well, I don't, Tobor, are you even he, she? I don't know. Tobor is uh, is a robot. He's a sentient robotic being. I say he because uh, he sounds like a guy, but that's just because I programmed his chip. Um, and he, Tobor has been going under construction uh, almost all summer long. Lots of things have in my garage, sadly. Um, and right now, the voice chip is out. The, the shell is getting modified. And uh, pretty soon, we're going to have a new looking and hopefully a new sounding Tobor. A little bit more human sounding, not as machine sounding. But we're, we're working on it. He's nodding his head yes. He's he's actually he's a AI right now. He's basically a virtually a virtual robot. So we got that going on. Um, and, uh, what was I even, why did I get off on that tangent? Uh, I think I was talking about our Facebook group, right? Word of the week. Oh yeah. So, uh, anyway, go over there, submit, um, submit your word of the week. Tobor will, will pick it and, uh, yeah, we will, we will say it. So now that's where I was going with this is now that it's just me and Tobor, uh, there won't be any punishments. Why would I, why would I punish myself? But I do try not to say the word of the week out of, uh, abundance of caution just in case we get some more co-hosts in here in the future now that things are uh, getting back to normal and I don't want to get in the habit of saying it all the time because you know I will I will suffer in the future probably um, hey welcome to uh, another wonderful week of writing lots of cool events coming up pretty soon and a little bit of news and before that uh, our word of the week I, I have not even uh, let's see let me go here to word of the week or, and check it out. There's no no new submissions, so I'm just gonna go to a random word generator. I probably should have done this beforehand. It's called Show um, Prep, and uh, I'm lax on it this week. I've been so lame. Generate a random word. Peasant. <laughs> the word of the week this week is peasant. Well, I'll tell you what. If you don't ride motorcycles, you are but a peasant, good sir. And uh, the word becomes official as soon as I ding the bell on, get this, we got a new ride in the house. Uh, We have uh, an Amazonas. Yes, one of the worst motorcycle, worst looking motorcycles in the world. Uh, It's a a Volkswagen 1600 motor, basically. And we're gonna ring the bell, we're gonna honk the horn on this thing. Are you ready? There you go. The word of the week is now official, and I'm not going to say it anymore, but let's just say it rhymes 
with pheasant, and it's basically what you are if you're not heading to the 81st annual Sturgis, not inaugural, annual. Oh, it's the 81st inaugural one. We keep we keep having new, but it's brand new one every year. Um, yeah, that's coming up. There's a bunch of great stuff coming up actually, and uh, there's a little bit of news that I am not going to talk about yet because it's still not uh, finalized. But just coming up this fall. Uh, and the end, to close out summer, there's going to be a lot of great things happening. So with no further ado, let's get into uh, some of the topics that we got going on this week's show. Uh, first, before we get to the news, we got some uh, mail. Got some follow-up mail, actually, and I have not ran the mail in a little bit. So some of this is way old. I had pre-recorded shows out there uh, for a little bit. And so... Mm, this, this mail is, is old news now, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. Uh, in this week's mail, <laughs> actually, this week's made-up mail. We're going to make up some mail here, too. So this week's mail, well, there's a couple, a couple of them. Uh, the first one is, uh, let me make myself more comfortable here. How do, how do you make yourself more comfortable? You practice inner peace. Check, check, yeah, coming in hot and loud, just like your aunt on her anniversary. Everybody's got that aunt, you know what I'm saying? The one like Aunt Peggy or something that you're just, you're always wondering, right? You're always just wondering. Uh, so, hey, everybody, our first bit of mail comes from uh, Ray, who is a former patron. We were going back and forth a little bit. I think we've uh, been on a saga with Ray about his uh, crash that he had. He had a, a crash a couple months ago on his uh, Triumph Tiger. He was also on the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast, and he kind of been deciding what to do with it. We both gave him some uh, tips on what what he can do, like what his possibilities are. And in the interim of all this, he told me, you know, the bike's getting checked out uh, from a a shop. And uh, in the interim, long story short, he picked up a 2001 Sportster 883. And I have to say kudos to you, Ray. I think he was uh, talking about jumping on the, the Harley uh, you know, seeing what the Harleys are all about. That's a great year. It was carbureted. There was a bunch of wonderful part and accessories that uh, fit 2001 to 2008, I believe, Sportsters, something like that. I think in 2007 they had a little bit of a frame change or some, something like that. I, I forget 100%. But what you're going to find is that it's an awesome, awesome bike. You're going to be able to customize it. You're going to be able to really enjoy it. Um, and he had mentioned to me also something about like a Yamaha Bolt, and uh, which is odd. Weird. It's weird because uh, one of the Nokomoto sisters asked me about the bolts too, and uh, because my SCR is basically glorified bolt, not not much uh, <laughs> not much difference. And I do have to say, um, the new Harley's man, that would be awesome. The fact that you got a you got a bike that had some potential, it had a lot of uh, there was a lot more Sportster. Uh, the Sportster class was a lot bigger back in 2001 through 2000, I'm going to say 10, somewhere around there. Uh, a lot more models, sub-models, a lot of, uh, 
you know, customization options. A lot of people were scrambling and doing cafe racers with Sportsters in the mid to late 2000s. And so I think you're gonna find that there's just a bunch of fun stuff for that bike. And the heritage that it was getting pulled with it as the new Sportster comes out, you know, they got that, I think it's the same motor that's in the Pan America, but it's detuned from, uh, the Pan America makes like 150. This Sportster makes uh, 120 or 121, I think they say. That's fine. So, yeah, it's great. Great bike. And I'm glad that he found something in the meantime and uh, gets to sort his Triumph out and gets to keep it for a Mad Max bike or whatever he's going to do with it. I think that's fantastic. Uh, the next bit of mail comes to us from, well, it was in my inbox. This is kind of cheating. It's a, uh, on Reddit, somebody had, um, somebody had uh, put a post up about a Bandit 600 that their dad owned. I'm going to read you the original post. I'm 16. My dad has a Suzuki Bandit 600. The brakes broke a few years ago, and he hasn't touched since. And it hasn't been touched since. He purchased a Triumph Tiger XRT and has no intentions to use the Bandit anymore. And he said he'd sell it to me for 15 or uh, 1.5k. Is it worth it, or should I buy something else? And then there is about 79 comments. Most of them, uh, like this one. Uh, 1500 is laughable considering the state it's in. Uh, I agree with the previous post of maybe 500. Um, another thing, and one of the other comments is uh, your dad should be accused of child abuse for charging his son this much money for a, money for a bike that doesn't work. Um, you know, your dad's a scam. Lots of other bikes are already in. Uh, are, are you on good terms with your father? It doesn't look like it. <laughs> so I'd be committing highway robbery or domestic abuse if I did this to my 16-year-old. So there's lots of comments, lots of stuff ripping on dad, lots of stuff telling the son to go out, get another bike, do something else. <clears throat> so while I, I agree that there are definitely other options that you can take and other things you can buy with the... Uh, 1.5 thousand pounds or dollars here's what i said i said hey absolutely this is a perfect project for a 16 year old and soon to be new rider now look up prices for other bandits that are running and well maintained and tell your pops that you'll gladly take it off his hands minus the price or you know for those relative prices you know you gotta compare it to those and if they're lower start there and then minus uh from that from that point, minus the price of a new battery, carburetor clean and adjust, new spark plugs if needed, new air cleaner if needed, oil and filter, since that stuff is like milk and it goes bad even if you don't open it or use it, uh, brake rebuild parts, because obviously that's the uh, issue at hand here, and you can include a mighty vac and some brake fluid into that amount, and then some tires if needed if it's been sitting a bit. And of course, title registration, back fees, all that fun stuff. Come to find out, uh, this person replied that they are in Ireland. And so, first things first, I don't know if uh, they have what sort of registration, title, and back fees they have. But if it's been sitting, I'm sure it's something. So then, tell your dad uh, that you'll you'll take it off of his hands. He can he can pay you three hundred dollars to take it off his hands and get it out of his hair at that point because he'll owe you basically. And uh, if he doesn't go for that, tell him, hey, then fine. That's what you're gonna pay to have a flatbed come and tow it away. 
and it's actually a better deal for him. Now, take that 300 that he gives you, buy a service manual, and you are now on your journey to becoming a motorcyclist. So, uh, a couple people replied and said, yeah, this is the best advice. The dad shaming is rather lame. I like your positivity, and at 16, it is an awesome project to take on. And then somebody else uh, replied, that's it. Best reply right here. So thank you for that. And uh, a lot of other people also try to um, chime in and, and give them some other good advice. Some some mixed results, I'd have to say. So what do you think? Uh, leave, us, leave us an email, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. You can stick Bandit 600 in the, uh, in the subject line. What would you do, you know, if you were the kid or the dad at this point in this story? Um, and, you know, 1500 bucks is that too much to charge your own kid for, for a bike? A lot of people were saying, oh, I would just give it to my son, or my dad would have just gave it to me. Um, and then, is it dumb? Should you just give it to him and then help him learn to restore it and work on bikes? I don't know. You give me your opinion. What would you have said? What do you... Um, what would you have done and what do you think the problem is broken it just says broken brake uh b- broken brakes or broken calipers so next email oh whoops uh, next next <laughs> valuable monies uh so this email comes to us from pepper and she says my husband just bought an mv agusta f4c and he has asked me to start uh pegging him uh, what should I do? So my advice to Pepper was, hey, get your own motorcycle if you don't have one yet. And if you aren't going to get your own motorcycle, enjoy the time on the back of your husband's F4C. And get used to that view because that's what you're going to be seeing every time you're banging your uh, your rubber rod into his butthole. Listen, ride them both like you stole them. Enjoy that F4C. That thing is just as much of a piece of ass candy as the new strap-on you're gonna have to get to be pegging your husband. So get a per- you got a performance bike, get a performance dildo, and just have fun. Right on the back of both, if you get what I'm saying. Wink, wink, Pepper. Um, and uh, let me know how things turn out. All right, next email. All right, this email says, Hi, Junkie. Just wanted to tell you how much we have enjoyed your fabulous tomatoes. You so kindly shared with our office from BLTs, shrimp and cherry tomato pasta, and popping them like grapes, we were in tomato heaven. Thanks so much for sharing your bounty. And then the lady's name. So this got sent to my personal account, and I I get, uh, must have been a mistake. (laughs) So uh, I didn't send anybody any any tomatoes, and I think that they're in another part of the, uh, the country from me even. So... What's the nicest thing to do? Just respond back. Blank. Dear tomato lover. How's that? Dear tomato fancy. (laughs) I'm so glad you were able to enjoy them. That lightens my heart. You know, I kiss each and every seed before I plant it. I'm always humming songs around them too. And then when the tomatoes are beautiful and ripe, I gently pick, wash, and kiss each and every one of them before packing them up. I think I love them as much as y'all, and I'm glad to share any time. Love, the Tomato King. And then, Junkie Turdman, the fourth. So yeah, I think that was my. I think that might have been a mistake. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody did mean to 
send me those. You you be the judge. Uh, the next mail, please. Tilwer, cue up the mail change in sound effect. Three, two, new mail now. This mail comes to us from Ducati. They wanted us to know that they have made a new Troy Bayless edition. And uh, yeah, they sure did. They sure did make a Troy Bayless edition. They have made a brand new number 21 Ducati. And I think it uh, has been 21 years since he won uh, the World Superbike Championship on it. And I think it's been, I don't know, he, he can do 21 laps on a bike. I don't know what the, the 21 signifies. And I really, it doesn't even look anything. I, I have, I actually have the old Ducati uh, that he won. I used to love Troy Bay watching Troy Bayless race. And I have a replica Ducati out in the shop that we uh, usually stare at when we're recording the uh, podcast out there in the garageio. And uh, this, that's a portmanteau of garage and studio for all you Canadians out there. And uh, anyway, yeah, so I, I am not 100% sure. Um, it doesn't look anything like the uh, Ducati that just came out with, like, all the Alice graphics and all that fun stuff on it. Anyway, they made a new, new Ducati, and it came to my mailbox, so I thought I'd tell you about it since we're doing mail. Um, next in the mail, um, Fuel wants us to know that... Uh, Fuel wants us to know that they got some cool stuff coming out. Super 73 also has some cool bike racks coming out. And I have an unpaid utility bill. That, well, it's actually due in a couple days in August. So that's the mail. Let's uh, wrap it up here and, and move on to something more important, more fun. Why don't you say? Why don't you say that, jerk? Let's move on. Why don't you say? You know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> so, take a quick break and get back into some other topics. I'll quit being an idiot. Or maybe I won't. Hey, it's Junkie Turdman here. I'm just back from a couple seconds ago, and I thought I'd read this and make it sound like an important news announcement. Come to think of it, I just did a, a mailbag review and read some of the emails from listeners. I even might have made up a couple of those, but I didn't. Uh, but you know what would help me not have to make up mail, even though I didn't make up any of that? Is if you could email us at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com and let us know. Do you want to know how to uh, ask me anything? You want to know how to take your shirt off without taking your shirt off? You want to know how to give your dog stitches? You want to know how to get rid of tapeworm and your younger brother? Uh, any issues you have from which air should I use in my tires to Junkie, is it true that you only have one large hair that covers your entire head? I'll answer them all here at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com And for all hate mail, just go ahead and send it to at nokomotopodcast at nokomoto the podcast. All right, now... Uh, the next thing on my docket is we're going to have an old man talk dirty because I thought that would be funny. And then we'll get into some news. So this is, this is my segment called Old Geezer Talking Dirty before some news. All right, we'll be right back. For over 131 years and several months, Clodman's has been supplying quality pickles to motorcyclists the world over. Legendary icons such as Sylvester Roper, Oscar Hedstrom, William Harley, Betsy Stringfield, Frank Willoughby Cotton, Evil 
Knievel, Nikki Hayden, and Sachiro Honda have all quenched their desires for a thick, juicy pickle sliding across their greasy, willing lips with none other than a fine specimen from Clawpins. Join the Hall of Fame, win your first race, impress the judges, put a Clawpins in your mouth, and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clawpins, not for dreamers, for doers. Clawpins, the only pickle for motorcyclists. And now, an old man talks dirty before the news. Hey, Barton, I'm going to pour my glizzy out and skirt all over my ratchet cities. Then I'm going to make a Reuben sandwich and go to sleep. My junkie! My old man, whose name I don't know. Thank you for calling. Thanks to you for supplying us with some sound bites. All right, everybody, this is the news. Beep, 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 beep. Instead of having a, a news ticker, we're going to have some exciting music in the background. How's that? So listen, the uh, first thing I wanted to say uh, I was reading in, in the news is the American Motorcycle Association. Um, uh, the uh, California Senate, apparently. I was reading this on the AMA uh, website the other day. California Senate has adopted some new anti-motorcyclist profiling resolution, and uh, it's really weird. I didn't even know this existed in California, but then I started reading it, and it kind of made sense. Um, basically, it's a Senate bill. Uh, the Senate July 12th adopted Senate Resolution 41. That's a uh, resolution, not a bill. Uh, promoted to increase public awareness on the issue of motorcyclist profiling. So, um, Anna Caballero, who's a, a Democrat from Salinas, uh, encouraged local and state law enforcement agencies to communicate with the motorcycle community and engage in efforts to end motorcyclist profiling. And the article states, this is defined broadly as the arbitrary use of the fact that a person rides a motorcycle or wears motorcycle-related paraphernalia as a factor in deciding to stop and question, take enforcement action, or arrest or search a person or vehicle. Um, the resolution passed with a 39-0 vote, and it's basically not asking but urging law enforcement to include statements that condemn motorcyclist profiling in their written policies whenever they provide uh, new training materials or develop new training materials and to distribute them across uh, all law enforcement agencies. So uh, they were working with Abate of California and the Motorcycle Anti-Profiling Coalition and the Modified Motorcycle Association and Motorcycle Riders Foundation uh, in support of Resolution 41. P pardon me. All of those... Um, uh, all of those organizations were applauding California's uh, adoption of this resolution. And I... I Basically, here's what here's what I think. Uh, after reading the uh, kind of reading it closely again, and then reading uh, some of the statements from the people involved, and seeing that it says um, basically in other states like Maryland and Louisiana, Anna and Idaho, they have all passed legislation legislation uh, forbidding the profiling of motorcyclists, and uh, California adopted another assembly bill way back in 2012. Um, outlawing motorcycle only checkpoints 
And I've, I'd never even seen these before. Uh, but then again, you know, I maybe I was riding in all the right places. I have no idea. But there's quite a few. There's quite a few states. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen uh, states that also restrict uh, either by local law or judicial action motorcycle only checkpoints. So when I started reading further into this bill at the top, I thought it was really interesting that it says uh, motorcycle, uh, well, not paraphernalia, but motorcycle uh, paraphernalia or clothing. And it made me think of the longstanding battles that the California Highway Patrol and I probably I think like the uh, state FBI I'm not 100% sure um, who had the copyright but I remember it being a big deal that uh, Department of Justice was able to copyright the Mongols cut and then whenever they saw the Mongols riding around with their cut on they could stop them and charge them with copyright infringement because they're riding around an unlicensed uh you know, basically copyrighted um, merchandise, and they could they could take their cuts. Basically, um, I want now. I I see that this is a bait, but I also see that this is the uh, modified motorcycle association and the motorcycle riders foundation. So I'm also wondering, with a lot of the new laws that have been going into uh, into place uh, regarding like tuners, I know Harley Davidson got busted, um, and that's something I wanted to say. Uh, I just read in one of the auto, auto blog or auto week or something like that, that California again is going to be attacking tuners, uh, basically trying to, you know, trying to regulate, I guess, air pollution and modified vehicles here. And there was a law a couple years ago that they tried to, well, I guess it is on the books, but I've never seen it enforced where your decibels can't be too loud. And with this is something that we are not going to talk about in this uh, on this episode, but I am going to say that going forward, I think that some of these things that are getting put in place now, we're going to see that in a few years when everything's electric and the loudest noise that your car makes is actually the tires coming, in, um, coming into contact with the road, road, road noise from tires or panel vibration, is the loudest noise that any vehicle makes when everything's all electric here in supposedly 10 years. That is why all these laws, I think, are going into effect. So they're going to have some enforceable thing later down the line. And we we'll, we could delve into that in a different show and talk about all the laws that have been passed for that. But this is one more, one more way. And the Custom Motorcycle, um, uh, basically the Custom Motorcycle Association and a bait of California working with people so that there's a couple things here that I, I think that they're trying to avoid. Loud motorcycle checkpoints and MC or club, motorcycle club checkpoints. If you, just cause you're wearing a Hells Angel cut or a vet cut, I mean, there's lots of non one percenter clubs in California. And just cause you're wearing a cut of some club, I think that this is urging law enforcement not to just arbitrarily pull you over or cause it's a large group of Harleys. They're gonna come into town and start uh, the Folsom riots, which are the Hollister riots, whatever um, uh, the bad one with Marlon Brando was based on. Stuff like that, and it's crazy because we all know we, we know we, we've said it before more dentists and, and doctors afford Harley CBOs than one percenters, right? But uh, 
I, I just I think that this profiling thing has a lot more to do w- not only with uh, MCs. I think it's going to be uh, enforcement of sound regulations and violations and stuff in the future and all sorts of great stuff. So I think that's what it's for. But yeah, so California um, coming down hard and uh, actually this resolution passed through Senate. And I don't think I've never seen any any motorcycle only checkpoints here in California. Never, ever. So I'm not 100% sure what this is addressing, but it's there and it has uh, made this week's uh, news. All right. So, every country in the world is moving toward electrifying mass transit in an effort to reduce air pollution, right? So Hollywood is making a reasonable decision with the new G.I. Joe Snake Eyes movie, which features entirely electric lineup of Energicas. And I'll tell you why. So first of all, if you want to make a movie about the future and you want it to have it seem real, you won't have, you know loud noisy cars uh driving around you know this state in particular um the governor is trying to urge automakers to be fully electric by uh in 10 years and i know a lot of automakers are going that way anyway because of europe and they don't want to have to make another car for the north american market so they're already trying to set up the infrastructure so they can just sell their global cars here as well so in 10 years there may be a lot more electric vehicles on the road and dig this snake eyes he's a ninja if you never watched gi joe as a kid like me eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich after school every day watching gi joe get after them cobras uh if you're a ninja you won't be riding around on a loud fucking bike to sneak up on your mark so and also you won't be riding something as fugly as the livewire one yes i said it you will be uh I, ha- I think i have seen a movie with uh what's it called the um the uh, FXS, Zero FXS in it, I think, or it was like a TV show or something where these people on electric bikes snuck up, right? So anyway, you won't have a loud bike. You're going to have something. And I think that, uh, you know, although it would have been like a Murica Go Get Him G.I. Joe thing to have a Harley Davidson in it, I think the Avengers, Marvel's Avengers, Captain America riding a live wire, they already got it taken care of. I think Black Widow rides one too. And uh, yeah. So you're going to need something fast. That's the thing. So Storm Shadow, his nemesis would ride something sporty and sexy and electric, right? It's quiet. So, of course, they uh, be on an, an, an Energica. So throw in the fact that it's Italian. And I'm thinking the Baroness might have to get one, too. You know, that might be in her little repertoire. Italian electric things that she rides on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so be looking out for that when the new uh, Snake Eyes movie comes out. I think it's going to have a lot of electric vehicles and it's going to have some cool Energicas in it. And finally, get those fools some uh, exposure to the market. Next on the docket is Newcomb's Ranch. So I want to keep this brief but informative. So, uh, Newcomb's Ranch, if you've never been to Southern California, uh, LA in particular, Newcomb's Ranch is one of those places that is uh, I don't know it's endeared itself to local riders because the two is such a fantastic highway through the forest Newcomb's Ranch was built in the late 1800s probably Newcomb whoever uh, I, I forget the original owner's first name but Newcomb was the guy he built a, a log hunting cabin or cattle cabin up there plus on stolen Native American land obviously 
and uh, throughout the years, he, uh, I think, expanded. I think it was a hunting lodge at one point. And then when the highway came through in the 20s, I think roughly, like in the early 20s, and it was just a two-lane, it, it's still just a two-lane highway, but uh, it was probably just made of dirt then. Uh, but that ruined it for him. And now there's cars and horse carriages coming up there. In the 20s, uh, and, you know, there a lot of automobile traffic had to get to L.A. via the mountains, over the mountains. So there, I'm sure there was a lot of mountain traffic coming up there. He said it ruined this place, this stupid dirt highway. I'm out of here. He sold it to a family member. And in 1939, they built Newcomb's Ranch uh, an inn or something like that or Newcomb's Inn and it was the ranch house and a restaurant it's still very much the same as it was way back uh, in the in the uh, 30s I think it burned down in the 70s though and um, basically long story short I won't go into the whole history of it but it is a historical piece of property to begin with and then the fact that it's endeared itself to motorcyclists because uh, whether you're Jay Leno going up there on the weekends or you're, you know, any of the 20 to mm, 200 motorcyclists that goes up there on, on any given weekend, uh, it's the only place in between L.A. and Wrightwood, which is way over on the east side of the uh, uh, San Gabriel Mountains. It's the only thing in there. It, it's at the I think it's at the 50 mile marker or 51 mile marker right in between there. And I know it's only 27 miles in to from uh, like uh, La Cañada or something like that, but the two freeway starts down in further to Glendale or something like that. I forget where it starts, but winds up through the mountains. And the only place there's no gas there, but the only place to stop and do anything is Newcomb's Ranch. And since I've lived here in in, uh, in LA area for 15 years, going on 16 years now. Um, I've seen that hill catch on fire like at least five times and been closed down for a number of months uh, at least five times or, you know, three times. Uh, and so that's got to be bad for business. Uh, the Newcombs sold it to uh, a gentleman. I forget his name, uh, but he, he passed away in 2019. He was a nature lover and a hiker, and he loved hanging up there, uh, you know, and, and he owned Newcombs, kind of carrying on the legacy. And now it's for sale again. The COVID pandemic pretty much wiped it out. Nobody had been up there for a whole year. And, uh, you know, fires and, and all that great stuff, they're done. They're selling it. It's a pretty pricey price tag. But I hope that somebody buys it. And I hope they continue to at least try. Uh, I think I mentioned, I know I mentioned it on a previous show. And I think I was talking about the fire insurance has to be crazy up there. But I really hope that somebody purchases this. And I heard about this story on another really... Uh, a really well-known po uh, podcast here in the States and uh, probably globally, they were talking about it. So I, I know it's not just affecting me. It is, uh, or not just near and dear to my heart. It, everybody knows Newcombs and loves to ride up there. And uh, yeah, I hope that somebody purchases it <coughs> and they're able to reopen the bar and, um, and the restaurant and just get things back, uh, back to normal. Uh, all right, let's take uh, next story. Uh, next story, a Triumph, is uh, we've all seen the movie On Any Sunday. What? you never seen On Any Sunday? It actually turns 50 years this year. Uh, on Any Sunday, you will know that back in the uh, 
late 50s, early 60s, and 70s when, when scrambles turned into motocross, people were riding BSAs, people were riding Harleys, Triumphs, you know, a, a lot of uh, bikes, but mostly, mostly, uh, Harley did have some little 250s and stuff like that from the uh, uh, war when they won some reparations from the war, but mostly it's Triumphs, BSAs, and then the small uh, CZs or whatever Harley was, uh, was grabbing. Um, we're doing scrambles. So Triumph has had dirt bikes in the past. And well, we, you all know like the T100s and stuff like that. I think Steve McQueen had a Triumph in on any Sunday. Um, if it wasn't, it was a Husqvarna. But they all look sort of the same. Uh, and more recently, Triumph has been... Um, it's one of those companies that's been around around the same time as Harley-Davidson. I think Triumph started in 1901. And they are one of the brands like Harley-Davidson that has endured the Great Depression, two wars, um, and is still in production today in some capacity, and actually was probably Harley-Davidson's biggest competitor in England. Like Harley is an American bike, Triumph was the British bike, even more so than Norton and uh, BSA and stuff like that. So uh, Triumph is more famous for probably their Bonnevilles and Thruxtons and Street Triples and all the vintage-looking stuff, but they have made the Daytonas for quite a while and the street triples, speed triples. They've made some really fast sports bikes for a long time. They've also made Tigers for quite a long time. So they've had ADV bikes forever and people kind of forget about that. Well, now they're jumping back further into their history. And I know that the, uh, the Triumph dirt bikes quote in the seventies were more or less like street bikes converted, but uh, they are starting a new venture into motocross. So finally, Triumph is going to be a, uh, let's see, who else doesn't do this? So Harley-Davidson and uh, Ducati are probably going to be the only brands, major, huge, big brands that I can think of, but Ducati's not really even that big, that don't have motorcycle, uh, or I'm sorry, motocross bikes. And to show you that they're serious, they're bringing on Ricky Carmichael to be a spokesman um, and to, you know, tag along and be part of this project where they're going to be developing a diverse li uh, line of motocross, supercross bikes. And Ricky, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Ricky Carmichael is, of course, a, I think, nine time uh, motocross uh, 450 champion and seven time supercross champion or seven and five. I, I, I'm off a little bit somewhere. He's, but he's, uh, they, they call him the goat greatest of all time, obviously for a reason. Um, in the 450 class, he is, uh, amazing, pretty amazing. So it's, uh, just shows you that they are committed to developing this line of, uh, of competition vehicles. Keep an eye out. We'll see what they, uh, come out with pretty soon. Uh, last bit of news we're going to delve into here before we get moving on um, is uh, Harley. HD1 has is a uh, brand new platform that Harley-Davidson is launching on the HD.com uh, website. It's going to be here in the States at first uh, to, to pilot. But what it is, it's a program. It's a pre-owned pre program. And for the first time, Harley-Davidson, I think this is because of the pandemic. And this goes back to the question I asked uh, on last episode or the, no, two, a couple episodes ago. Do we need more pandemics, right? And 
I don't. A lot of things have changed in the marketplace, and one of them is that used bike sales have gone have gone crazy, especially with semiconductor shortages and new bikes not being available. Right. So, what is a dealership to do if they want to survive and they don't have any product? Well, sell the existing stuff, and this is something that a lot of dealerships have shied away from in the past. So, the fact that Harley Davidson is stepping up and doing this tells me a lot. Uh, and private dealerships were doing this um, for a little bit, uh, you know, a few, few over the last couple of years. But now the actual the, the whole company is getting behind it, and so I'm starting to turn the corner on this uh, Jochen Zeitz guy. Like I'm starting to see where Harley Davidson was failing over the last roughly 10 years, just going down, 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 and their numbers kept going up because of various shifting of, of assets here and there or closing of plants and this and that they're getting smart they're working smarter now and i think things are going to start turning around and uh this is a huge huge decision and a huge uh breakthrough in thinking as a way to keep your brand alive during a situation like we have now with with shortages and supply shortage and uh, what it's going to do is it's going to put the whole dealer network this massive dealer network that harley davidson has here established in north america at first and it's going to leverage that to be able to uh offer people the opportunity to sell their bikes to dealerships that means other people are going to be able to search and browse and buy from the dealerships used inventory and uh it's gonna have a harley you know you'll have a harley davidson uh uh what's it called inspected and harley davidson will be uh liable and you know it's gonna make sure that it's a uh, up up to code and all this stuff uh, i don't know what the hell i'm trying to say um the pre-owned you know like all the pre-owned stuff they're just gonna make sure that it is uh basically got the harley guarantee you're not buying it from you know, XX Scooter Co. That somebody like Cleveland Moto, where somebody traded in a, a Roadhog for a uh, uh, Buddy 250 or something like that, right? This is coming from Harley, so it's going to have the Harley guarantee behind it, as well as the full force of the dealer network and the motor co- <coughs> motor company. Excuse me, I just swallowed a fly. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, interesting, interesting financial, uh, you know, tidal wave waiting there for pre-owned market right now. So Harley Davidson saw the sign. They didn't wait around. They launched it and they uh, they're getting ahead of the head of the ball. I think a lot more people should look into this for dealer uh, dealership opportunities. If you have a if you have an established dealer network, like this would be pretty, pretty legit. All right, let's take a quick break and get into the third segment of our show and uh, stick around for some more creative writing. Go get a sandwich, do something, to type an e- in, this, in the 30 seconds that it's going to take between segments, type an email to me for Pete's sake. Let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you think about what we've talked about so far. Or go fart in a jar and mail it to, to us so I can uh, break it in the driveway and, and uh, smell it on camera for you. All right, talk to you later. Happy your butt. Go get it. Looking for a high-quality leather that doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Well, not yours anyway. Try Criders, made in the USA from 100% renewable resources. We don't use fancy hide like kangaroo or elk, nor do we use other imported hides like jaguar or okapi. Those animals are scarce and protected. We extrapolate our hides from a unique source of marsupial. 
not a wallaby though, if that's what you were thinking. Crider's leathers are made from the United States' most renewable resource, the common opossum. The common opossum is so common, in fact, that thousands of hides go to waste each year on American roadways. We don't believe in letting these valuable garment farms end up in the city dump, especially with a looming leather shortage on the horizon. Crider's is dedicated to rider safety, and a low overhead is our number one priority. Visit Crider's today and we'll fit you up in new skin. Possum skin. Crider's, the cheapest leather you'll wear. Visit Crider's now. We're located down by the stream behind the old recycling factory. Crider's Leathers. Creative Writing is brought to you by Millman's Chocolate Chips. Millman's for long-distance truckers and motorcyclists on a long road trip. Millman's features enriched cocaine and skink pheromones. Millman's, I killed a ninja. Millman's Chocolate Chips. All right, everybody. Well, we're about to get into today's interview or tonight or this evening, whenever you're listening. And uh, hey, I do still hope that you're having a great time. I hope that you're finding this at a campsite or out on a ride or maybe at lunch, maybe while you're working late, whatever it is, maybe while you're doing some chores around the house. If you're doing some chores around the house, why don't you dance? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Put on the show for your partner, you loser. Uh, here, this next segment was recorded out in the desert. We're about to tell you that. Uh, but I do have to give a fair warning. Um, th there was a lot of cicadas. This is right in uh, cicada time. And lots of cicadas out there. Pretty good mic on our field recorder. So we cut some of it out. Uh, but we did a lot of passy, backy, and forthy. And just a disclaimer. I don't know if I'm going to take the, uh, you know, the time to listen Pardon me to listen to the entire thing and edit each one of these out. So if you'd like a job producing the creative writing motorcycle podcast more than I would with my busy ass schedule recently, uh, hit us up and uh, maybe uh, maybe you can come on and get paid as much as I do to produce the show. All right. So having said that, let's get into our episode or into our interview. And uh, I think you're really going to like a lot uh, this this uh, this bit. So, all right, let's get to it. Shut your trap. Let's get back to creative writing. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. Uh, I am. I made the journey tonight out to uh, the hottest place in California. I can't really say that because uh, two days ago, Death Valley was like 130. I don't think it's that hot here tonight, but it certainly does feel like it. It's a little bit more humid than the desert is. But I came out here tonight uh, simply because of something I saw on Reddit. You guys know I've been talking a lot about Reddit and uh, all the great stuff going on there lately. So uh, I saw a bike, reached out, and guess what? The, uh, the person whose bike it is said, yeah, come meet me out here in the desert. It's nice and cool. They tricked me. <laughs> but, so I'm sitting here. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, so tell us your name and tell us where we're at. Uh, my name's Trent, um, and I am out in Palm Desert here. Uh, it is currently super hot, as it always is, but at least the sun's gone down. Uh, we're both sweating here after riding motorcycles out here. But um, yeah, I'm uh, the guy from Reddit um, behind all the interesting project, I guess. Yeah. All right. Excellent. You you need your own podcast. Um, so. 
the interesting project that he's talking about is um, a motorcycle that I that I saw uh, local to me was local to me. Now you're <laughs> now you're way out here, um, and I thought, oh, this is so cool. I've been listening to a lot of electric podcasts about cars, infrastructure, all the stuff, all from Australia, England, all these different places, and it kind of hits home. One of the only long-term motorcycle companies that's here in California is made here in California zero now Harley's coming out with some electric stuff I think we're just gonna be a seeing a whole bunch of stuff but what drew me to your particular video was you're riding in Malibu Canyon it wasn't what you're riding or wasn't where you're riding rather it was what you were riding so you got it here tonight it's pretty awesome I probably will snap a few pics before we leave but why don't you tell us what it is and what's so special about it so it's a self-built electric motorcycle, which I get questions all the time like, oh, uh, did you convert something? No, no. <laughs> it's uh, based off of uh, a stealth bomber frame, which is usually like a high-end electric bike. And usually the frame is, it's a cheap frame that they manufacture in China. But what caught my attention is it's entirely made out of carbon steel. So despite being welded sheet metal, it actually is dense steel, so it has enough durability to pull off high speeds without being so scared. I have built actual electric bicycles that go 40 miles an hour, and that is scary. They are not heavy enough for that. Um, but that was back in my days of LA, experimenting with just slapping motors on bicycles, and I've come to realize that if you've got enough steel, it, you can usually make things work. Um, but yeah, the, the, the project is, uh, the electric motorcycle I built and mostly the the second one I built is probably what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, to be fair, I didn't know this is this number 2 then? This is number 2. This is number 2. All right. So in a nutshell, um yeah, so that's crazy. So Stealth Bomber is that the brand of the bike or the is that just the company that makes it? Yeah, so there actually is like a Stealth uh, a company called Stealth and they used to make a bomber. And because it became so generalized with people making knockoffs, at this point they call it like a B-52 or something like that. But that's the, the whole term now at this point of that style. Gotcha. The Enduro is a stealth bomber. Gotcha. All right. So, and like every good motorcycle beginning, it starts with the bicycle with the motor on it, just like Indian and, you know, Harley, Merkel, all these crazy things. So looking at it, uh, right, looking at it, I can tell it's it's um would you call it like a supermoto it looks like a i mean it looks like a proper like zero effects like sort of you know like zero has their own styling but you have like a proper good looking like it's narrow it looks like a, you throw knobbies on it's a dirt bike yeah yeah it at first i went for the 19 inch rims in hopes for a dual sport and the only reason it has basically supermoto tires on there is because of that tread life i really like the tread life of supermoto so right now it's essentially like a super tall up supermoto with a ktm 525 front end um but if you did you could you could just throw on some dual sports on there and it would be exactly how it was meant to be but i ride so much i like the tread life right and that's another thing is that yeah you have a thousand videos on reddit of you carving malibu uh all over the hills like uh, um malibu creek or something like that like back up in that area and you you Right when I contacted you for this interview, you, you I don't know if you mentioned it yet on here, but you were in Redondo Beach. You were much further, much further west. What brings you all the way back out here to the desert? And, and uh, did you ride your bike, this, this motorcycle, all the way out here? So I'm actually 
thinking of moving either to Northern California or somewhere very far. Um, it was just the timing of everything. Uh, it was time to quit the job and I was moving out of the house. So uh, the current plan right now is because all my family's out in this hot as hell desert, <laughs> uh, is to just store everything here and I'll take off and do some vacationing in Europe because I have a lot of friends out there. And then I'll try to figure out where I want to move, but definitely not in a desert. <laughs> But I really liked my time by the beach. I think I might like mountains more, but um, yeah, any, anything cooler for sure. Yeah. And right, and, and it's such, I, the reason I had to book it out here today is because yeah, you're, you're literally leaving. You just got back today from some insane road trip over to Arizona where I can only assume that it was hotter than it is here. So, uh, and then you're out of here like in the next day or two. So yeah, tonight's the night. I had to come take a peek at this thing. Um, and, and see it for myself in person. Uh, so this is number two. You mentioned that you strapped some motors to bicycles and stuff. Um, what made you want to get into motorcycling? Is this your foray into motorcycling? Is this DIY thing or, or is, uh, were you a rider before, like when you were younger? I was never a rider. Um, it really did start off as just the bicycling thing. When I moved to LA, I was hoping to rely on the public transit. It does not really work, uh, <laughs> not anywhere near as close as Europe's. Um, but once I got tired of public transit, I just relocated my job into bicycling distance and got around by bicycle for like a couple of months. But the hills around the beach of LA are incredibly difficult. So I, like, no matter where you go, if you're wearing dress clothes or not, you're gonna be sweating and working your butt off trying to get places. So that's the very first, uh, step into it was I put a motor onto the back of the bicycle and got a way bigger battery than I thought I would get and it was it was hauling ass people don't people think of LA when you think of LA from the movies you think of like either downtown downtown's filthy first of all uh, like Hollywood and Vine and all that stuff it's just it's horrible down there um, but even those hills and even the beaches and mountains like I I live over you know near Pasadena where there's like the hills are right there used to go mountain biking up there and I thought oh the hills of LA right and then I start climbing them and they're like vertical right so even yeah the beach uh downtown LA the Hollywood Hills there's hills all over you're not gonna just get your beach cruiser one gear beach cruiser and be satisfied <laughs> cruising around you threw a huge battery it sounds like on the back of a bicycle and then you were you said earlier that they're going like 40 miles an hour what okay that's already faster than most traffic is going on the freeway so is that like when you decided to hey i'll just convert this over to a motorcycle frame or make a motorcycle and just go further you know than a, than a bicycle yeah as far as the first motorcycle i built which we'll probably get into as we talk into it um the the main reason i went to that steel frame to begin with is because of that giant battery on the rear rack uh that only took a few weeks probably to crack one of the pipes on the uh on the rack and then on top of that i would have to unstrap that battery put it into a backpack and take it into me with work because it's so expensive i didn't want anyone to touch it so all around fix of that was that stealth bomber frame would basically you know bolt in the battery and protect it better and it would have the durability to hold all the weight so that was my first reason for going that route and i still i had in the back of my head maybe i would want to build an electric motorcycle but at the time i was just happy to get around and have everything in one one vehicle i guess i really hope you're enjoying uh, trent's journey so far and the things he's talked about 
I really loved hearing about all the factors and all the uh, thought that he put into uh, this thing from it being stolen to the, the weight factors and everything like that. So we're going to delve a little bit further into this uh, first bike now that he built and learn a little bit more about what got him started on his journey. And I wonder if it's making anybody out there think about what you would build if you were to take this on in your area. What sort of stuff you need to think about and uh, just the, the effort that goes into this whole thing. So let's let's uh, get back and, and listen to what he has to say. You start making this uh, first motorcycle, which I really want to hear about. You probably realized pretty quickly that you weren't going to be able to ride a motorcycle around the streets of LA without having a motorcycle license. So at that, uh, let's talk about how you got into bike number one. And A, how many of you out there have built your first motorcycle? You know, like mini bikes don't count because you can't get a plate on those. But how many people built their first motorcycle? Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, he went the long way, long way about it. So let's talk about that first motorcycle and talk about like the whole process of you turning in from a biker to like a proper motorcyclist. Yeah, so when it started off, uh, despite it being a stealth bomber frame, by default, they have a bottom bracket threading. So like you can put bicycle uh, cranks on it and that's what they kind of intended for it. So for a while I was riding around probably at three kilowatts, which is like the legal limit in California is 750 watts. So 3000 watts is quite a bit higher. Um, but the regulation of them is like practically not here. <laughs> the, the police won't give you any problems unless you are riding like an absolute asshole. Um, the strand is the number one. The strand in LA goes all the way from the very south of Torrance all the way up to near Malibu, I think. Um, for bicycling and there's oftentimes people that have one wheelers and e-bikes that are going way too high speed around bicyclists and I've had a lot of people ask me with my first motorcycle can you take that on the strand and my counter question was should I take it on the strand no <laughs> um, but yeah when, once I was up in that higher speeds I was taking it on the roads even with the uh, the pedals and matching traffic, which actually felt safer than not matching traffic. Uh, and yeah, I think that's uh, really what started it. Despite going on the streets with traffic, I did feel safer. And um, I think it was in that, that first year when I started matching at least like the, you know, the 40 mile per hour traffic, maybe 45 mile per hour. Um, I started to get a feel for being on the street with a bike. And that's when I started looking into how to wire signals and a brake light because it was kind of necessary for the cars around me your your first bicycle is morphing into a a motorcycle slowly it sounds like um i've seen you know there's a plenty of brands like super 73 and stuff that kind of look like little mini bikes there's another brand that is copying them that i forget the name of them um, and then there's brands like M monday um and cake and stuff like that that make quote motorcycles but they're not street legal and technically they're not trail legal either because they're not bicycles and they're so they're you can't take them on a bicycle trail right since there's no pedals on them and the kilowatt and stuff isn't isn't enough for the street they're there i don't know where you would be able to plate those or ride them but i've seen at least two or three companies some of them here in southern california um and nobody's making it work quite like you know there's like i said earlier there's there, there's zero there's energica there's harley um, and there's a couple other companies um, working on it, but nobody's quite getting there yet. Um, 
and here you come in with a with a bicycle. <laughs> you, you you start going faster than traffic, which, like I said earlier, you could you could ride a unicycle uh, on the 101 and be faster than the cars at some sometimes. So yeah, you're really you're getting into the legitimacy here. I want to talk. I don't know anything really about these, but I know that you had to have some sort of like bat battery management system. Three kilowatts. I mean, that's pretty good. That's. I mean, I don't know. Some of the motorcycles I had, the early ones had like three, nine, six. You know, they weren't much, much more than that. So you're you're matching traffic speeds on this thing. You're you're thinking about putting signals and stuff on it. What is some of the details and what is some of the differences between bike, you know, beta bike, and then the one that you're riding today? So. Uh it gets into a, a much longer story with the transition from bike one to bike two, okay. but um, it was right at the start of 2020, or I guess right at the, I'm trying to remember, maybe it was uh, right at the start of 2021, my bad. Last year was like three years, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, right at the end of 2020, going into 2021, I got my first motorcycle stolen at my job. So... That was, at the time, I had built it all the way up to 8 kilowatts, and it had a QS273 motor, which is like one of the highest-end hub motors you can get inside the wheel. Um, so that was absolutely painful in its own right. Um, How much did it, had it cost you to, like, build and develop and, like, time and, and years-wise to get it that far from when you started? At that point, I think I had a good... In the parts alone, obviously I discarded parts in the end, but what the bike was worth was probably four to five thousand um, dollars. Not a small loss. Yeah, that was not a small loss. It obviously wasn't bike two in terms of range. Like I could take it up to Malibu, but I definitely have to charge it in Malibu to get back down to Redondo. Um, and the time is the thing that disturbed me the most because it took probably you know two and a half years since I first moved to LA slow upgrade after slow upgrade i felt like there's no way i can do that all over again but sure enough after a couple of months i kind of lost hope in getting it back and i hate being in la without a bike so <laughs> i began the project of bike number two and i laid out a whole spreadsheet of a, a schedule of things to do every single day for about a month and a half it took me to build it which is really impressive considering the last one took two and a half years i got mine done a month and a half yeah, that goes to show that once you learn to do the back like a cartwheel, doing the double cartwheel is uh, is is easier. Um, and at that point, you probably knew what you needed to get. You or you know had a good, pretty good parts list if you're going to replicate what you had done. Um, and dang, a month and a half, man, that's that's pretty good. What were you doing in the meantime to get around? You got a, do you have a regular car or just trying to do public trans, the woeful public transit here in LA? So thankfully, by that time, uh, I actually did have a car. It another long story of some inheritance because I, I personally would never buy a car but sure enough I somehow inherited oh, one yeah. <laughs> uh, but I modified that uh, car to be able to hitch my motorcycle um, it's a little Nissan cube you would not expect that to, to have a supermoto on it but um, yeah so I at least had a car to get around I was using some bicycle here and there just because I hate being in a car so much but at, at least at that time I had a backup um, there were some months when I had bike number one, and if I had to do repairs on it, I had no backup, and I would have to walk or bicycle to work. So it was, it's nice to have a car as a backup, but I always am anti-car guy, and I think that it shouldn't be your primary uh, transportation. I'm assuming then that you were, work, you were working pretty close to uh, where you were living. Um, 
do you work in electronics or is this something like this whole endeavor is this uh, a hobby or is this something that you kind of already do do you like program chips or you know there, there's a whole bunch of different things that i could see coming into play and building your own bike but did you have do you have any professional or uh work background in like the building and designing of these that you do absolutely none yeah. i have, <laughs> I have <laughs> no professional uh to back me up i mean I've, I've done some freelance repairs just in my own garage for people but um and i, I even try to put that on my resume because i want to get into engineering most of what my work has been is been in hotels so people give me a real strange look when they ask <laughs> they see my bike and ask where do you work and i say oh the shade hotel yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um i have gone to uh, university for software engineering which is a whole nother thing on its own but it's i in general like engineering but i've come to learn i kind of like hardware more than software the soft i mean it's so fantastic what people can do with software but it's always the most fun being able to see, for me at least, to see what you've done. And, and I know software, you have to kind of look at it in a different way. I mean, you still need software to run some of this stuff, um, like the controller to tell the wheel, you know, like sometimes it's a, it could be a basic like rheostat sort of thing. But I know that sometimes if you're like managing it or do power modes, you've got to have some sort of like software or computer telling it to do what it's got to do. Looking at yours, it's really, um, it's really cool. It's really compact. And I didn't see if it had a hub motor or not, but I'm, I think you just mentioned uh, that. So I'm gonna assume that bike two has one. And the motor itself and the battery is pretty slim in that frame that you got. And then did you make the body covers and everything yourself too on that? Yeah, the, the sidewalls of the frame were actually made by me and my old roommate since he had a mill, oh. we made them. Uh, the, so the new motorcycle has such a humongous battery that you can't fit it in a stealth bomber frame. It's not possible. So I did grinding um, on the frame itself and we designed new sidewalls to mount uh, by bolts further around the outside of the frame to fit that ginormous battery in. Um, and you're right, that bike is compact. It does have a hub motor and basically all of the frame space is nothing but battery and a bunch of wires and stuff crammed up toward the very front of it. Um, if I ever had the chance, I would love to build a bigger frame because I like to have bigger batteries. But for the time being, that uh, that's basically maximizing what you can do without welding. Yeah, right. And the reason that, you know, other motorcycle companies are able to pack a little bit more battery is because they, they basically take a huge battery and design a frame around it. And they've got the luxury of like making it from scratch and making it fit what they what they want. You ha you using this um, is pretty unique because you've already modified it a little bit. Um, the foot pegs and and all that stuff um, you had, you know, you don't have pedals, so you had to have pegs. Was that easy to figure out where you're going to put all that? Did you have to weld and I mean, you make that stuff from scratch pretty much um, and figure out where you're going to or how you're going to ergonomically design it around that that bomber frame? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of times you had to get creative. Um, the stealth bomber swing arm obviously has the threading for a bottom bracket for cranks to go in but in the end it's just a like a hollow tube through it so what i ended up doing is finding a steel rod that was the exact same size and just bolting it in as the starter just for something to put your feet on but uh, later on i i actually um tapped in some for the time being i have some pegs tapped into the 
very front of the swing arm, so it doesn't move much with the suspension being unsprung. It hardly moves, so those pegs definitely work pretty well. And then eventually I'll probably make a bracket that actually bolts to the frame, so it's not unsprung whatsoever. Right. But um, yeah, you had to get creative sometimes, and it's a matter of how long is it going to take me to do this? Can I put something there in the meantime? But um, as long as you can tap stuff into steel, drill, and use a Dremel, you can do a lot more than you think. And the big question, did you get your motorcycle endorsement, or is this thing in some sort of sweet... Uh, you're, he's going to Europe, so it doesn't it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't matter for for a little while. But is there some sweet loophole that you're kind of like riding through where this thing, it's motorcycle, no doubt. It's got you know that headlight's pretty damn bright. It's brighter than my headlight, I think, on on my motorcycle, and it's a legit. Um, like you said, it's got the KTM front end on there. I was gonna ask you about that because I, I was like, he didn't obviously extrude these forks from from nowhere, but. Uh, that's a bitchin' setup on the front end, and it allows you to mount all that stuff that you got on there, including um, that headlight, your front panel. You got turn signals, and I'm assuming you got like a tail, uh, a license plate, and a license lamp, which would mean that somehow you registered this or something. Are you, did you, or, or um, are you just riding through the loopholes of life? And um, we'll be talking later <laughs> after this. <laughs> I have a license plate light. But I do not have a license plate. <laughs> I have not registered Brad, yet. Brad. Technically, I could pass a CHP inspection. The only thing that's missing from it right now is um, I need to fabricate just a steel or aluminum uh, adapter for the rear brake caliper. So right now, everything should be up to like legal code except for a mechanical rear brake. Right now, I'm just using regenerative braking through the motor, which is really more than enough of what you need. But the only reason uh, I can understand why they wouldn't revise the handbook for a hydraulic brake in the rear is technically if you fully charge your battery on the top of a mountain, like if you're leaving Big Bear, and you go down the mountain, you can't use your regen braking because the battery's full. Right. So you can't, you could, you would only have to rely on the front brake, which might be able to do it because that, I have an incredible front brake off that KTM, but um, it, it's better to have a backup at yeah. least to, have a hydraulic in the rear so if I do that then yeah I could probably register it and they will give me rebates like I believe thousands of dollars yeah, worth yeah. for electrical rebates from California so I'm motivated to do it it's just I need to find the time to finish that last piece of work and then uh, you were asking where I got the KTM 525 forks absolute luck when before I even decided to start building bike two I looked on Craigslist for motorcycle parts and sure enough somebody completely dismantled an entire KTM 525 and I noticed that they were selling the entire triple tree, the forks, the front brake fully assembled with the, the hose and lever and caliper, all of it for $200. So that's that's what motivated me to start on something with that. Were they, I mean, were they selling the frame and the rear swing arm? Because right now it's um, it's not rigid but you said it doesn't move much right now. Uh, like why for, let's just assume like a 500 bucks, they would, they would sell you like the whole chassis with, with no engine or running, you know, just the, uh, just the suspension. Would you, uh, would you grab something like that? That has a full, you know, everything laid out for you and then just throw more battery on there if you could and more, um, I don't know, you have more suspension and, and chain options and, and you know, all that wacky stuff that goes along with like just having a pre-made motorcycle? In my opinion, it is harder to convert a gas motorcycle to electric. Um, 
in the case of the stealth bomber frame, you have the steel sheet metal welded together already. So your battery box is the frame. And if you were to use a conventional motorcycle frame, you're going to have to weld together a battery box. And um, I haven't done any welding yet. That's definitely something I need to learn. Um, because if I, if I knew welding, I probably would actually go that route because you can weld sheet metal around that frame. But until then, it was actually better for me to use a stealth armor frame because they're cheap and they already have the battery box implemented. Um, the only other downside, uh, if you want to use the chain, it might be a little bit difficult. But I, I do believe that a mid-drive setup would be awesome, which is having the motor in the middle of the bike so that it's not a... So it's sprung weight, because believe me, the ginormous motor I have in my rear wheel is not something you don't feel over bumps. But it does save space, so it's, you win some, you lose some. If you wanted to have a dual sport bike, I would definitely go for the chain. How about this? I'll go you one better, because yeah, that is true. I, you know, I didn't even think about that, that you, you, don't have, um, you don't have a chain drive on there. You have a hub motor. How about this? How about a chain drive in the rear? and a hub motor in the front, and you, then you have a two-wheel drive like a Christini Fernand, but without having all the wacky chains and, and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I didn't think about that. There is there is other stuff coming into play uh, when you're deciding what to use. Um, but that's not a bad, um, you know, now that you mentioned the, the brake, yeah, if your front brake goes, you're, you're hosed if you're fully charged. You know, once you get the rear brake on there, uh, you're correct. Um, California will give you like upwards of like 300,000 from the state. I think there are, or, uh, 1500 from the state. There's like 3000 federal or, or maybe it's, uh, the other way around, but yeah, you get all sorts of stuff. I don't know if you have to, I know I'm going to ride home with a bunch of crickets in my sleeves probably. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, I don't know about like, uh, having to get a VIN for it, but, um, definitely like that is, that's awesome. And I, I think it's easier than people think to make something that you yourself, as long as you're not going to mass produce them, I don't think you have to actually have a VIN either. So, so you may have heard me say $300,000 there on accident. I meant 3000, but I did get home and look it up. And in fact, you do, you get half a million dollars. You get $500,000 for every, uh, electric vehicle that you make in California and then register. So I think everybody should move here and just make electric vehicles and uh, become millionaires. That's how you do it. Also, we were joking about crickets in my sleeves. You might've heard that little statement that I made is because we were sitting there in this uh, park out there in the desert <laughs> and it was dark and uh not only were there little bats flying around but all these crickets were running into my uh, leather jacket so i did not ride home with the friendly tag-alongs but uh that's neither here nor there let's get back to the story with trent and uh, talk about his electric motorcycle going off uh your hub motor let's get it let's start getting into the nitty-gritty of the bikes now um you, you spoke a little bit about bike one what made you choose hub motors? Was it just simplicity? And then also, how did you figure out, um, how did you figure out batteries, controllers? Like your doesn't have a whole bunch of wacky wire. I saw I, met, I saw a couple of pigtails sticking out the front, but I didn't see a whole bunch of like wacky wires going around here. They're just gonna electrocute some kid going by. It's pretty clean. So how did you figure all that out? How did you figure out like? I turned the throttle like go you know did you did you just steal stuff off of um, existing bikes or part stuff out through existing bikes or is this something that you had like uh, when you were making your spreadsheet designed out and you knew what you're gonna need and then 
parted it out here and there. Like if somebody wants to like kind of walk us through, if somebody wants to do this, what are they going to need to do? What steps are they going to need to take? So I would definitely start with lower power if you're going to try to do something yourself, like a normal e-bike, I would start with that. Um, in the case of mine, even when I started with a quote-unquote normal e-bike, it was still 1,500 watts, which is twice the legal yeah. limit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and hub motors are typically the easiest for repairing because you hardly ever need to repair them. Um, and you don't have to mess with the chain. They're the simplest drivetrain overall. Um, in the case of bicycles, the only thing you can worry about is it could like bend your dropouts um, because the bicycle dropouts are just aluminum usually. So you can get like a, a torque space here that helps with it. But for the most part, hub motors are very easy to work on, to build with, and it gives you extra space. No messing with the chain, no worrying about gear ratios. Spacing and all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what, what else uh, are um, we talking Like the, from the throttle to the back tire, how'd you figure all that out? As far as wiring goes, my first bicycle was absolutely going to be looking like a server room with random wires going <laughs> everywhere. Um, if you've never had formal education as like an electrician or an electrical engineer or something, you probably will start off with something that looks totally Frankenstein. Um, but as you work on with them, you start realizing shortcuts, better ways to do things. Uh, and the one example, there's like splicing wires where you want to turn one wire into two. I used to use some really crappy connector that would like almost cut the wire to splice off of it. Uh, when in reality, you can actually run two wires into the connector and have a wire come out of the connector. So you don't need to put anything on the wire. You just, you could splice it from the connector. So that, I, that cleaned up a lot of my wiring issues and there's other stuff, uh, combo wires, for example, I used to run five different puny wires up to the regen and throttle up at the front and different colored wires that looked so crappy on the first bike and with the second bike I realized you can just take a USB cable and cut it strip it and you'll have five different wires and a combo wire so in the front end you'll just have one black wire instead of five little ones because they're all tucked away and you can just scrap that off of any USB cable you want or in the case of like if you don't have a lot of wire laying around like I do you could even go to a uh, Lowe's and pick up combo wire and it works much better and was that something you just figured out or is this uh I mean is this um, being on forums is just is this just looking at it and kind of realizing I mean that that's pretty like secret squirrel stuff if, you know unless you have cut open a USB cable before <laughs> so is it was it like is it a combination of like you just figuring out as you go or or um you know are there were there forums or questions is was there anybody like your 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 ninja or your sensei on this whole journey that you were you're asking questions once in a while yeah i've learned from a lot of different people uh the i used to rent a room in redondo beach for the first year from an electrical engineer and i believe it or not i did not learn much about the electric side from him i learned a lot about the metalworking side from him which is odd um but a lot of the electrical side i learned off of a, a discord group for e-bikes um they always helped out a lot. Um, in fact, they're basically the people that led me through building batteries now, which is something I could never imagined doing before, but now I can build batteries. Um, but yeah, as far as figuring out how to wire stuff, a lot of it I learned on my own, which is odd. 
I did take physics in high school, which, you know, is just going to give you basic stuff like uh, how to figure out wattage from currents and resistance and stuff like that. But um, for the most part, just the wiring tricks I kind of learned on my own through time and experience. Uh, another good example that I always look back on is uh, on the stealth bomber frame. Like I said, it's all steel sheet metal. Uh, I had drilled a hole for a wire for the motor wires to go through and ended up being stuck in Palos Verdes with that wire being cut on that drilled hole. So what you need to do is put a rubber grommet on it. And I would have known that if I was, you know, in trade school or something, but not when you're doing it yourself. Yeah. So you learn from experience, I suppose. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. You take a look at enough, uh, enough motorcycle fenders and you'll see, yeah, everywhere there's wearing grommets and rubber, you know, rubber passageways for stuff to go through or, or uh, even like um, little conduit. That is funny, and that uh, that tr um, trial by fire, you know, sometimes you got to strand yourself <laughs> out near the, near the beach, and I bet you, I bet you, after that, like none of your holes have you know sharp uh, metal edges. After that, I, I kind of came to this interview cold because I just kind of wanted to like go naturally down this path of how how does this work, but I do remember seeing you. Um, I don't remember if you were soldering together or what you were doing, but I did see you did post a video on Reddit of you creating batteries. Now that you can do that, does that mean that like, you know, you <laughs> you don't need anybody's secret sauce anywhere? You can just you can you can ba basically if the apocalypse comes, you're you're good to go and and you can make an electric bike and it'll be like Mad Max, but instead of fuel, you'll be like you know, breaking apart cell phones and, and stuff like that. Yeah, um, learning how to build batteries is a humongous uh, benefit because <laughs> that's one of the main reasons I want to learn how to weld is to make a frame for as many batteries as I want to build into one motorcycle. Um, right now, I have five kilowatt hours in the Supermoto with another half of that on the rear rack. So the uh, total I guess capacity is seven and a half kilowatt hours. Whereas if I could weld my own frame together, I'm sure I could pack 20 kilowatt hours like Energica does. Yeah, and you know, at that point you are, you're a manufacturer. Um, right, and, and that is so crazy. How many times did you get electrocuted trying to learn, you know, making your own batteries sounds scary. Like when I think of batteries, I think of like, you know, people have been do making their own batteries since like the 1300s in like, Saudi Arabia and Iraq they found these crazy alkali tubs with like copper poles in them so they know people have been making batteries for a while but not the ones that look as nice and and concise as yours and yeah did you did you get shocked and and was it kind of creepy playing with something that like your whole life people tell you not to play with or that they can be dangerous you know yeah I'm glad you brought it up um so I take battery cells and spot weld them together using nickel strips it's a common method for like automotive oh well, i don't know so much about the cars but definitely e-bikes and some motorcycles is the uh, spot welding method of taking 21700 cells or 18650 cells and spot welding them together with nickel um, you can create your own shapes out of them and whatnot but um, one of the users on the e-bikes discord said it in a funny way is when you're building a battery especially a large or a higher voltage one it's like russian roulette except every single time there's no there's a blank it's uh the caliber increases so <laughs> it's yeah. like it gets worse and worse and more risky and uh 
I laughed even more at myself while I was building it because the more nervous you get, the sweatier you get, which also means less resist <laughs> or <laughs> less resistance on your skin. And yeah, I have shocked myself on 72 volt with sweaty oh, hands. Oh no! <laughs> but um, it actually 72 volts is more of like a sudden jolt, like it, it's uncomfortable, but it's it's not gonna kill you unless you had soaking wet hands. Right. So it was like a a very uncomfortable jolt that I wouldn't want to feel again. Yeah. But um, it isn't until you're probably in the 100 plus where sweaty hands could be an issue. Yeah. Just playing around with electrics and cars, like even 12 volts getting amplified by an alternator, you got to worry about. So I mean, God, 72 volts. I know you can get killed by less than that, but yeah, the circumstances have to be, have to be just so. So I'm glad that uh, you have all your fingers and uh, <laughs> and all your hair, so you nothing too bad. Um, yeah, when, you, when you're doing that now, um, you've gone from somebody that had just a regular bicycle. Um, and, and by the way, Nickel Strips was my stripper name in high school. Uh, <laughs> um, working on a, on a regular bike to build in your own batteries. That's a huge sense of accomplishment. Um, is there, are you making all the parts of this thing? Are you making the motor controllers? Are you, are, like what, what parts of this are you outsourcing until you make your own? Um, like what, what parts are bin, I guess? Bin parts are usually a drivetrain. Um, despite them being from China, there's still, you know, QC pass and everything. Um, I would never get a battery from China, um, but the motors from China are good. It's really hard to screw up uh, copper coils. And uh, the power controllers I also get from China Kelly controller. Um, They're very good at pushing extremely high phase amps. Um, I'm pretty sure Zero and such use BAC 8000 controllers, which are probably more stable, but they're about twice the price. Um, so the Chinese ones will probably work pretty well as long as you aren't pushing them to their max amperage all the time. Uh, it's it's all a matter of how long your MOSFETs and capacitors are going to last. But um, as far as the drivetrain goes, it's usually, you know, just pick them up from the vendors. As far as the frame goes, I do a lot of the work on the frame. And then um, batteries, I now build myself. Ever since I got so many issues from other battery builders, I will always build my own batteries now. Um, and then obviously the front end, I pretty much ripped off of a KTM, but you saw the headlight was on it. I had to get custom clamp sizes for them and different stuff like that. Yeah, is that a Baja Designs or something? For the, the, for the, the clamps? Headlamp, yeah, the headlamp. It's a very common one off of uh, Amazon. I think it's a five and three quarters inch uh, headlight, but um, as far as the clamps, usually you have to just message the vendor and ask if they can give you bigger clamps because obviously that KTM front end has yeah, huge uh, pistons on that uh, fork. You know, my old vintage bikes that I have, I have like toothpicks for, you know, front forks. So yeah, they're, they're just getting bigger and bigger. They're like, they're like 48 and 51 millimeters now. Um, yeah, and so you had, to, you had to figure all that stuff out. You're getting all these parts that aren't um, made for your bike. You're making them for your bike, right? And so how did you figure that? Did you, did you um, write a wiring diagram? If you broke this now, would you have a wiring harness uh, diagram for it? And uh, if we know, I, I don't even know, it's like you were speaking in, in Greek or Russian there for a second when you are mentioning some of the electrical components. So obviously you've learned quite a bit and you know, you know, from the phase amp modulator to the, uh, <laughs> to the uh, flux capacitor, what things are doing. But is that, is that all that terminology and that reasoning and the way that stuff works, something that you picked up along the way? 
And is it something that you've had to document in order to remember how to make this again now if you were to do this again? Yeah, I understand why phase amps seems a little out of the box, but um, I knew the general idea behind uh, amps and volts just because of AP physics in high school. Um, but as far as what phase amps were and three, three phase wiring, I didn't quite understand that until I got into e-bikes and had to ask the Discord. Uh, essentially, phase amps are motor amps. Um, it's the three phase, and those are what create a lot of heat through that giant motor. Um, so phase amps are what give you the torque, and then volts are what matter for your speed. And I did write a wiring diagram for my entire bike. <laughs> I didn't use a program, it's real crappy, but I had to write a, a wiring diagram to actually follow everything I was doing. Um, especially because I wired my own dashboard, I had to do so many splices on the connectors that I had to draw a wiring diagram. So I have that one saved and it's probably on the internet somewhere, but a lot of people have asked me how the hell I got a zero motorcycle dash. They, they like to call it that because zero does use the same one. They, they asked me how I got that on my motorcycle. It's not easy. You're going to have to wire everything yourself. But <laughs> if you uh, ever need help, I guess there's my diagram. But everyone's going to be different. Uh, when it comes to wiring all the different lights and dashboard, it was definitely a surprise when I first did it because uh, I was used to building computers and everything's kind of done for you when you build computers. But when it comes to automotive, it's all bare bones. You're putting it into a uh, damn. I, I can't remember the term. Um, like for your blinker, you have a a relay. You're you're putting in a, a wire to a relay and out from the relay, and then you have to splice it to all of your signal wires. So you have to. It's very bare bones, and you have to know where you're going. And it, you pretty much are gonna need a di a diagram unless you want to go back and be mad at yourself for <laughs> 20 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Forgetting forgetting to make it in the first place right yeah that is that's amazing um and th my takeaway so far because there's a few things that you said my first takeaway is hey discord turns out discord is actually useful i've tried to you know start a discord for our show i know some other some people use discord for different things and it works sometimes it doesn't but it sounds like discord as like a uh community it has worked out pretty well for you. So take AP Physics, join a Discord group that knows what they're talking about, and document everything because, yeah, you will eventually come back and kick yourself in the ass for not remembering. I, that's the worst part about working on something is not remembering what you did to get It's so awesome and it's like a masterpiece. And you're like, crap, how, like what metal did I use to do this with? Or like how did I get here? What wires? So that's pretty awesome. Um it's getting a little late. I, I still got to drive all the way back to LA, so I don't want to. I don't want to rush out of this thing. Cause this is a fascinating story. You were mentioning that you have some of your stuff online uh, right now. Where are you? Like, if people want to check out your videos and what I saw, you know, what what uh, kind of turned me onto the the whole thing that you're doing here. Um, where are you on on social media? If you're okay with with sharing that stuff, and what other groups? Um, are you a part of that? Like, if somebody wants to try this out, can they kind of jump into and get a good idea of where to even start? So I, right now, for the time being, I do host my own website, but it mostly just has build logs, um, which could be useful if you're just trying to follow how the bikes came to be. Um, I have 
my website, which is trenavix.com, like T-R-E-N-A-V-I-X. Um, and I'm trying to keep it hosted because it's literally a home server and we talked about I'm going to Europe and stuff. So as, for the time being, it actually is hosted at my family's house here in Palm Desert. But um, I, I'll try to keep that up as much as I can. But otherwise, the other places you can find information that I've probably posted pictures and possibly even the diagrams on. It's definitely Reddit on Trinovix again. And then um, the e-bikes Discord is going to be your most helpful thing if you're ever trying to build anything from an electric bicycle to a motorcycle. Um, I'm sure if you were to Google it, it'll come up, but um, otherwise we can always provide a link. Um, I'm trying to think anything else from there. The electric motorcycle subreddit has usually a lot of show-offs of builds, but <laughs> not not so much uh, resourceful, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, I've looked, I have a book called um, How to Build an Electric Motorcycle. It was written probably a decade and a half ago, maybe more, and it's total garbage. Not total garbage, I shouldn't say that, but it's almost like going back and getting something from the 90s on how to do a computer program. You know what I mean? Like, so much has changed in 10 years. Uh, when, you can, when you don't have to go out and buy a book and you can go to, you know, places like this online and, and pull them up on your, on your phone or computer while you're out in the garage, that is so beneficial. You know, th that book, I don't even know where, where it's at. Like, if I wanted to start, I'd have to go dig through the garage somewhere. Thank you for sharing those links. Um, like I said, I, I don't want to run out of here. There, you, I feel like you have like a whole uh, another part of the story that you're not telling us that we could, that we could find out about. I do got to head back. When you get back from Europe, um, are, are you going to do any e-biking there or motorcycling there, or you got any crazy plans of taking over Europe and, and showing and you know patenting something over there that they uh, <laughs> that's not legal there either, but you're riding around. Glad you asked. I'm really going to miss my bike while I'm in Europe, but thankfully their public transit isn't too bad. So despite having to walk a bit, I think it'll be a nice break from all the building I've done. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it, it's really annoying to me is the fact that, fun fact, I don't have a motorcycle license because right. I haven't had a motorcycle to use on a test or anything. So I can't rent a motorcycle. It might be possible to rent a scooter or something, and that could be cool, but... Uh, Believe it or not, I don't even know how to use a clutch. No. Because I've only had electric motorcycles that I built. I've yeah. only ridden my motorcycles. So honestly, when I get back from Europe, I probably will want to learn clutch just so that I can get a license easier. And eventually, obviously, I'll register my own motorcycle. But I still think I should learn clutch just so that I could want to ride other bikes yeah. if the need ever comes. To that point, a lot of Europe is uh, scooter-driven, and a lot of Europe doesn't use clutches that much either you know there's uh, a lot of bikes i guess that, that do but with the dcts that are coming out and and like when we think of being motorcyclists yeah well, we were just riding a motorcycle but when you think of being on two wheels like 90 percent of the world is on a scooter that doesn't have a clutch probably and and with e-bikes coming on huge um i don't know if you're familiar with china but you should um you know it's a communist government i I don't know if they taught you that in AP physics, <laughs> but but they said, hey, listen, uh, everything has to be electric. And so they got like there's only electric stuff in some of the cities now. Um, and so they were able to do that because you can't say no, you know, and they, there's no such thing as a consumer. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know, you consume what they what they tell you you're going to take. So as a result, like there's like 80 trillion um e-bike manufacturers so china went from a largely bicycle to very quickly 
scooter and automatic cars, and then really quickly into mo uh, electric motorcycles. And if that trend keeps continuing through Europe and stuff, I don't think you're gonna need to need to know a clutch. And I, and actually, I know right now you you can take a, a your your skills test on a scooter already. So the coolest thing here's what I think would be rad: go to Europe, smoke some hash in Denmark, whatever you're gonna do, or Amsterdam. Come over, come back home, get your bike. Um, like get your bike registered and uh, set up as like a its own EV and then take your test on it because you don't have to have a license to be a builder right so you should do that you should you should make your bike legal and then take the test on your own bike like you'd be the first person ever probably that uh, the show has ever talked to any motorcycle podcast that I listened to has talked to that would have built your own machine and then took your <laughs> got your motorcycle endorsement on it. In closing, is there anything that you haven't done with it yet or any goals that you have for the next, like, let's say like right now your trip, it sounds like you've just been hacking on this thing, building a lot of stuff going on in your life. You're ready for this Europe trip. And yeah, building something from scratch can be time consuming. But when you get back, you said you already said you're going to miss it. I heard Europe's got some motorcycles <laughs> and and when you get back it, what's your plan like what's your immediate plan and then what's your long-term goal are you you eventually want to maybe get into making them or make your own company or something like that yeah once I'm back I'm hoping to land any type of engineering job because that's really where my passion lies I'd like to be into engineering and if I can't get hired as one I might just open up my own company but um I do think that you have a good point that I, I could just take my own motorcycle to get my yeah. license. <laughs> that was kind of my original plan, and it, it should be feasible as long as I just finish up those last little tunes to get it passed for inspection. And it, honestly, it'd be pretty uh, satisfying to, yeah. <laughs> to have my own motorcycle as my, my first one to pass an exam. <laughs> yeah, but, it'd be awesome. but yeah, um, I appreciate uh, coming out just uh, for all the questions, and uh, I'm glad that. People are looking toward the future. The electric motorcycles are in a heavily transitioning state, and I feel like in, in five years, you're going to see a lot more on the freeway. That was my point about China is that, you know, they can, any, any communist country can say this is what we're going to do now, and you're going to do it. But I already see other capitalist countries. America, I, I, I think I mentioned at the beginning of this um, whole rambling fest of mine that I had been listening to a lot of uh, EV shows in Europe and stuff and it turns out that everyone from Hyundai to Kia to Volvo to Mercedes-Benz they're looking at European market and and China the reason I bring China up is because they did what they have done they've made almost everything within a city electric only and I'm sure there's still some farm and fleet stuff that's that's gas but they've said this is how you got to do it and as and and kind of unbeknownst um china is one of the largest growing um consumer markets right now so chevy and all this people what that was their largest um export was to china this growing middle class that they have but then china went and did this thing where hey now everything's got to be electric so it's like oh crap all of these american brands are going to be scrambling to catch up to this electric thing where the europeans are, are they're not too far ahead of us but they're about five years ahead of us um and yeah like just because the demand is in a country where everything has to be electric. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, America, rad, you know, all these, you know, we're never going to go electric. It's like, no, the manufacturers are going to be like, where is the growing, here's the aging market, where's the growing market that we need to send to, and what are their regulations? And if it's all 
electric, you're you're right. This the the market is going to be evolving more quickly than the production because that's what the law is. You know what I'm saying? And then those middle classes are going to grow and and rise and fall in other places. And we're a mature market. You know, like America is pretty saturated and and more mature than most places. We're the last place electric's going to affect unless all the Europeans say, hey, listen. We have to make you. We have to make electric for everywhere else. We're not gonna still make combustion engine for you. Like we're just gonna. You're gonna get it too. So yeah, I think it's coming a lot faster than you think. But yeah, man, that the, that would be the ultimate. Besides Keanu Reeves, who I probably had his own uh, motorcycle endorsement before he started Arch. You would probably be the first guy to start a motorcycle company and then take their motorcycle test on this. That'd be epic. Um, yeah, check him out on social media. Uh, go to the Reddit page. Um, and I'm going to put these links in the show notes. I'll put a link to the Reddit um, just because Reddit is, has been such a good uh, – it's like Instagram but way better. It's like Instagram that you can actually like post and comment and get some, some links to stuff, and, and, and it's a little bit more engaging. Um, so I'll put that down. I'll stick your website on there. And then uh, if people connect with you and, and you know be ready to have your European trip ruined by people <laughs> having questions for you. So, hey – Thank you so much for, for inviting me out here and hanging out. I kind of want to go uh, look at your bike, but now that it, now that it's dark, that's the other thing. We're sitting out here. It's I don't know what the temp is, but it's got to be like 100. But thank you so much, Trent, for hanging out. Um, yeah, this started out with the Stealth Bomber and ended up with the, uh, I don't know, the Trenvix <laughs> E1, you know, Serial <laughs> 1 bike. So thanks so much for hanging out, and I hope you had a good time yakking with the Maniac that uh, and uh, have a good time in Europe. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope that uh, some people get inspired by it and make their own projects because the number one thing we want to see is innovation these days. And how, brother, and how. Hey, everybody, that is our show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Trent. I will put the links to his uh, page down in the uh, show notes this week and I took some pictures of his bike but dude it was like dark I should a real what's a real professional do probably takes pictures when they first get there and it's light but his bike is pretty awesome looking um, we walked around it he showed me all the components we looked at it in detail and I got to see exactly what he's working with I know exactly what I'm gonna do different when I do my e-bike <laughs> but I it, it inspired me for sure at least to get into electric bicycles for the time being and uh, really understand what I'm looking at, kind of like the way I enjoy looking at um, motorcycles and enjoying all the things that I uh, love about them. And the more you know, the more fun things can be. And answer me this, Canny, is this uncanny or what? Didn't he sound a lot like Chris Singsheim? He kind of looked a little like him too, only about three feet taller. And well, I'm not actually how tall Chris is. Maybe he's t- maybe he's taller than uh, than I think. But he sounded a lot like Chris Singsheim. His, you know, he's obviously a very chill dude. A lot like Chris Singsheim. And just like Chris Singsheim, he's taken something perfectly good and just tore it to shit and totally reworked it to make it into what he uh, wants and spent like quadruple the money probably on, uh, you know. I know Chris Singsheim has like a, a $1,200 Jixxer that's now worth at least like $80,000 in parts and computer software. But to, to the point being that Chris like totally did, redid the entire uh, wiring harness for his bike and wired up a, um, 
you know, all these crazy gadgets that he has. If you, if you really want to learn something about motorcycles, go over to TPS Fab uh, on YouTube and look at all the awesome stuff that Chris Singsheim has up there for uh, motorcycles. And uh, thank you, Chris, for being a patron of the show for quite a long time, uh, even though you're not anymore. Hey, I get it. You got to pay for this bike. You got to pay for your new house. And you got to pay for your new baby. What? You didn't know I'm pregnant? Chris, how could you? <laughs> wow. And uh, also, thanks for Trent. Hope he's enjoying his time and smoking lots of hashish in uh, Amsterdam right now. And uh, yeah, hope he uh, comes back. And I, we will check back in because this is going to be one of those follow-up stories that's like, hey, did you actually go get your motorcycle endorsement now? Did you learn to ride with a clutch? And uh, awesome. Did you do a bunch of awesome? All right, everybody, that's it. Uh, please enjoy your few weeks uh, until you hear from me again. And if you have any cool moto stories or know any cool moto people that we should talk to, we're not looking for the big names. We, I mean, we scored Valentino Rossi. We've scored, you know, some of our patrons came on. They're they're pretty big names, you know. They're like the executive producers of the show, basically. Uh, but if you have anybody that you'd like to hear from or any cool uh, stories, email them creative writing uh, podcast at gmail.com and thank you to each and every one of our patrons for making this show possible and uh, love to all talk to you next week or in a couple weeks in about 15 days is when each podcast is coming out so stay tuned, leave us a review and drink some wine from your shoe bye uh, it's dark and humid, it feels like I'm sitting in like a closet with my brother playing D&D back when we were like 15 years old.